Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be working through uh, this passage the next few weeks. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Parker. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life. If you're a guest with us, I just encourage you to take your bulletin. I think there's a perforated section there. Fill that out, and you can place that in the offering trays up front or as you leave. As well, but um, I want to make a quick announcement um, about a Bible app that we are, are launching. It's through Uversion. You may have heard of that, um, but we're going to have uh, reading plans on there. You can actually take your phone. You can actually do it right now if you can get it above my head, uh, and you can scan that code, and uh, it'll take you to um, the Grace Life uh, Uversion page, and you can set that as your church, and from there you can. Uh, download reading plans, um, and just a good way. I have found it's a good way to um, just get connected in the Word of God. They'll send you reminders every day to um, read the Word, read the Scripture, and um, it's been a great encouragement to me, and I just pray that it would do the same for you. And so uh, feel free to download that. You may have the app. If you don't, it'll prompt you to download it, and then once you download it, scan that, and it'll take you straight to the page, and you can hit uh, Set as My Church, and you can connect with us through there. Also, the sermons will all be on there as well, the outlines and whatnot, uh, that'll all be on that now. It actually should be going live now. And so any notes that you want to take, you can take on there. Any scriptures that we reference, they'll be on there as well. But um, again, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be working through this one verse of scripture uh, for the next four weeks. And um, honestly was a little bit torn in terms of what to preach on, uh, just moving into an Advent season. We've mentioned, uh, I know Ricky has as well, um, just how much Orville has taught you guys. And I know that Advent um, was a very special time for this church. And um, I just ask if I could, if I could just read through um, Orville's Advent sermons. And so that's what I did for the last week or so. I just began to read through them to just, just get a sense of um, just how he taught you guys. And I was just so encouraged, uh, by, not only just by the truth that he proclaimed to you, but also just his heart and his love for you all as well. And uh, I was so encouraged and refreshed. And I just prayed. I said, Lord, I don't know really what to, to preach and how to go about in preaching in that. And I just um, was prompted, I think, through the word and through prayer uh, to just say, God just says, give them, give them my word. Give them truth and give, give them comfort through the word of God. And so my prayer is that as we walk through this Isaiah 9 passage, as we look at these four descriptors or these four names, um, that they would just be a source of encouragement to you. uh, And they would be a way that the Lord would refresh and renew your spirit in Christ. And that is ultimately where we find our hope. It's where we find our peace. It's where we find our joy. And it's where we find the great love that God has loved us. Uh, It's found in his word and it's found in the incarnate word, namely Jesus Christ. And so... Isaiah chapter 9, the word advent, it does mean dawning or arrival. In the Latin, it simply means to come. And historically, Christians 
have recognized two Advents, the first being of the Advent that we recognize this season of the Savior Christ coming into the world in the incarnation and the person of Jesus Christ. It's an Advent in which we remember, we look back and we reflect on and we anticipate his coming um, to this earth as a child. And then the second Advent is namely that of the, Lord, the Lord's return and that the, we are anticipating this hope and the return of Christ and preparing for the eternal state. And so we're gonna focus primarily with that tension in mind of those two advents and where we find ourselves living today. Because as you know, this world that we live in is really in so many ways very similar to the way that the world was when Christ came in the first advent. It's a world that's filled with brokenness. It's a world that's filled with hopelessness. It's a world that's filled with all types of, of, of pain and, and turmoil and all types of, of situations that you didn't ask for and situations you find yourself in. And maybe you're asking yourself today, where do I find hope? Where do I find peace? Where do I find joy? Where do I find life? And where do I find love? Our world's really no different. And, but the reality is, is that we look to the world. We'll never find what we're searching for. And God has designed it in that way. In the same way that the world found everything that they needed in the person of Christ some 2,000 years ago, beloved, I'm here to tell you that the same is true today. That where you find the answers that you're searching for will never be found in the things of this world. They will only and can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I just invite you to stand with me as we read Isaiah chapter 9. Verses six and seven, just to set some context there. It's a very familiar passage. But Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven, the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, I pray that you would fill us with knowledge of your truth this morning. God, that you are wonderful. You are the wonderful counselor. You are the mighty God. And you're the prince who can bring our broken lives peace. And God, you love us as an everlasting father with everlasting love and that you never, ever stop loving us. So Father, may these truths comfort us this morning. May you fill us with knowledge of your word and of truth, and may you fill us with your spirit this morning. May you open our eyes to the reality of this text and more importantly, to the person of Christ that we see here. God, help us to not only receive your word, but to believe it in faith and to apply it in our lives and to leave here changed than when we came in. God, we'll need your help. We'll need you to do a mighty work in our hearts. But it's a work that only you can do and a work that you can do. And so, God, we ask that you would do that in Christ's name. 
And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. We're gonna do some historical digging a little bit this morning really to understand this book of prophecy that Isaiah's ministry, I love the book of Isaiah. It is an incredible book to read and it can be a little bit cumbersome. It can be a little bit complicated uh, to understand. And I've just found such refreshment and encouragement through reading the prophet Isaiah. I mean, there is not a prophet that, that speaks of such height and sovereignty of God and glory and majesty of God. His writings are absolutely incredible. And I have found the book of Isaiah to just be an incredible book to rest my own heart and my own soul in. But the the prophet Isaiah, his ministry spans over the course of four kings of Judah during the eighth century. And much of Isaiah's writings and the prophetic activity of Isaiah, especially through the first half of the book of Isaiah, namely verses one or chapters one through 39, relates to a historical event called the Syro-Informatic War or the Syro-Informatic Crisis during the reign of King Ahaz. And I'm going to explain that. I'm going to unpack that just a little bit because it, it sets some context about what this word here, wonderful counselor, is speaking to God's people in this text. But as you know, the book of Isaiah highlights the problem of sin and also offers a message of hope for God's people. And Isaiah presents Yahweh as a God who is both just, in other words, he will require a just punishment for sin, but God is not only just, he is also merciful. And God will mercifully extend compassion and grace to even an undeserving audience like Israel and like Judah. It was a time that Isaiah was writing. It was filled with all types of political trouble and national troubles. There was threats and rumors of threats and rumors of war. And yet Isaiah proclaims to God's people. He says that our God is the God who created everything. He's the God who's in control of everything. He's sovereign over everything. And yet we have an opportunity to trust God and to live for him Or our sinful hearts will be pulled away from trusting God and we will seek salvation from the things of this world and the things of this earth from foreign idols or foreign nations. But if we do that, it is a denial of who God is and his power that he brings to his people. And over and over and over again, the prophet Isaiah commands and instructs God's people, encourages them to say, trust the Lord. Trust God, Judah. Don't forsake the Lord. Trust the Lord, King Ahaz. I'm going to draw your attention this morning to three points. The first of which is I want you to see the might of a better king. Ahaz was the king of Israel during this time. Ahaz came to the throne according to 2 Kings 16. And Ahaz was a bad king for the people of Judah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, you have Ahaz coming to the throne. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the Lord his God, as his father David had done. 
but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his sons as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings to the high places and on the high hills of every green tree. If you know the the history of Israel, the story continues now as life in a divided kingdom. Israel is no longer united under King David. The kingdom had now split and now there are two Israels, if you will. There are two tribes of Israel. There is the northern tribe, which is described as Israel as we know it. And then there's also the southern tribe, which is known as Judah. If you read the history of Israel, what you see is that every king in the northern kingdom of Israel, every king that they had was a bad king. Every one of them. Yet Judah would have these glimmers of hope. They would have these offers of a good king that would do what was right in the Lord. And here it's said that Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom, and yet Ahaz is a bad king. He doesn't do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he does what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Ahaz, his foolishness and his refusal, he refuses to trust the Lord. What was going on at that time is that Assyria, the nation of Assyria, was threatening They were gaining power. They were gaining control in the area. They were ruled by a guy by the name of Tiglath-Pileser III. He's called that in 2 Kings 15, as we'll see this. But Tiglath-Pileser III, he had his eye set on a new land, if you will. It was a particular trade route in the middle of the northern kingdom of Israel. He needed this land so that he could have access to do more of his expansion in his kingdom. And so the northern kingdom would maybe do what any of us would do. And they begin to form, well, if this guy's going to try to invade us, well, we're going to go get some of our boys and we're going to have some protection against this Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser III. And so they form what's called the Coalition of Nations. And so they bring in Syria, not Assyria. Assyria was invading them, but they go to Syria and they form an alliance. And then they go to the southern kingdom of Judah and say, hey, I know we're not on the best of terms, but would you mind helping us? We've got Assyria coming, probably going to invade us. Would you mind joining this coalition of nations? Well, the kingdom of Judah says, no, we're okay. They don't join the alliance. Israel gets upset and they say, well, no, what we'll do, we'll take this little clique of ours and we'll invade you. And Israel then invades the kingdom of Judah. And so what does King Ahaz do under threat of that? He starts getting a little bit anxious, as we'll see. And he then turns to the king of Assyria to help him. So he's got nations coming against him. And then he says, I know where I'll get some help from. Instead of trusting God, I'll trust the king of Assyria, King Tiglath-Pileser III. This is all described in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 16 to 23. I'll just read it for us this morning so we can see this seroinformatic crisis, this crisis that's going on, that Israel or Judah has an opportunity to trust the Lord Yet instead, they trust in a foreign king. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. For the Edomites Edomites had again invaded and defeated Judah and carried away captives. And the Philistines made raid on the city of the Shephelim and the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemash 
Agion, Gedaroth, Succoth, and its villages, Timnon with its villages, and Gizmo with its villages. And they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. So there he is, Tiglath-Pileasar, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. For Ahaz took portions from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria. But it did not help him. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same king Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods and the kings of Syria had helped me, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. And in spite of divine intervention, guidance from Isaiah that says, trust God. You don't have to look to the foreign nations. You don't have to look to King Tiglath-Pileasar III. You don't have to trust the Assyrians. You can trust in the Lord. But Ahaz refused to trust in the Lord. And Tiglath-Pileasar does come in and he does help Judah, if you will. And he invades Israel and he invades Syria and he executes King Rezin and Pekin of Israel. And in order to now pay tribute to Tiglath-Pileasar III, Ahaz now says, well, I got to do something. The king says, I've done this for you. What will you give to me? And Ahaz says, well, well, how about the temple? And how about the sacrifices? And how about my, my palace? How about the, the treasures that we have? And Tiglath-Pileasar III says, but it's still not enough. And so Ahaz says, well, if that's not enough, well, then how about our worship? And Ahaz commits a gravest sin in the eyes of the Lord because he hands over the worship of Yahweh and he gives the worship that rightfully belongs to God and he gives it to this foreign king. And he bows down to him and he defiles all of Judah and leads them into idolatry. And what's going on in the book of Isaiah is that Isaiah sees all of this coming. He sees the nations coming up. He sees Israel forming an alliance with Syria and looking to invade Judah. He sees the, the Assyrians looking to take over the entire region at the time. And Isaiah is giving these prophetic writings and he's saying, Here's a sign unto you from the Lord. A sign unto you that in this city, in the city of David, there will be a king that's coming. There will be a, a, a the Lord himself will give you a sign and the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then he comes into Isaiah 9 and he says, this great passage of the people that have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, a light is shown to them. For unto us a child is born and to us a son is given and the whole government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government 
and of peace. There will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with righteous and justice from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And on and on and on, Isaiah continues to write to the people of Judah and says, trust God. Even though the circumstances seem bleak, even though there are threats all around you, even though the nations are raging, they're coming in on top of you and you are scared to death. Isaiah says, trust God. Ahaz, trust the Lord. Israel, trust God. God is going to deliver you. He is going to deliver his people. He will not forsake you. And he says that this virgin is going to conceive and she's going to give birth to a son. And there's, I believe, a double fulfilling prophecy here that more than likely the proximate fulfillment of that prophecy is speaking of a pure woman who will give birth to King Hezekiah, who would come after King Ahaz. And Hezekiah would certainly lead Judah faithfully. But as we know, there will be many, many kings from Ahaz to Hezekiah to Many, many more that would sometimes offer Judah just a glimmer of hope. But really what they needed was a better king. They needed a mightier king than what Ahaz or Hezekiah could give to them. And ultimately, what Isaiah is speaking to us through God's word in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 is speaking of a final and true king of God's people, namely Jesus Christ. And he is the king that is to come and he is the king who will not fail you. And he won't fear the nations. He will fully trust the Lord and he will faithfully shepherd you and he will not lead his people into idolatry. And Ahaz placed his trust in someone or something other than the Lord and what happened is all the people suffered for it. And I just think we're tempted to do the same. We're tempted to place our hope in, in the things of this world and they always fail us, don't they? It's because we need a better king. We need a better king than this world can offer us. And by faith, we need the king who is Jesus Christ. And our world so often tempts us to put your trust in stuff Put your trust in, in the next election. Put your trust in your 401k and put your trust in your surplus. Put your trust in all the things of this world. And know how every time it leaves us wanting more and more and more. And how often is even this season, this Christmas season, more about the stuff of Christmas than it's about the sufficiency of Christ. God is truly all that we need. And rather speaking, you see what Isaiah is doing here? Rather than just speaking of the essence of Christ, he's speaking of his attributes, which we receive by faith. Isaiah wants us to know something more than the name of God. He wants us to know the character of God. He wants us to experience the person of God. He wants us to know the hope that God brings to his people. You know, this season is really a season where so many people feel like hope is lost. And they feel like life is hopeless. 
more suicides take place in this season of the year than any other time throughout the year. Because when we look to the things of this world, we'll never find hope. And yet what Isaiah is presenting to us is a God who truly is hope-filled. A God who truly is wonderful. A God who gives to us hope. A God who really is mighty. A God who really brings to us peace. And a God who loves us as a father. And oh, how our world needs hope today. Not in the things of Washington and not in the things of this world, but our hope is found in Jesus Christ. He is a better king and he brings a better kingdom. Point number two, I want you to see the miracle of a true son. The word here, wonderful, wonderful counselor, is the word, the Hebrew word pele. It means Wonderful, And all throughout the scripture, through the Old Testament, it has this, these overtones, if you will, of the unexpected or things that happen that are beyond human bearability or beyond human comprehension. It's riddled in the book of Exodus. All these miraculous works of the Lord, they were God-sized moments. And you know, as you read the story of Israel, the problem for Israel was their continual unfaithfulness to the Lord. Israel had a big problem. It was their sin. Israel was to be a son of God, yet they were a son who failed. And the better son in this text is the son Jesus. He was the true son. He is the true son of God, and he is filled with all righteousness. Yet Isaiah gives this peculiar announcement even to a sinful people that says, even though you have sinned, even though you have walked away from the Lord, even though you have grieved him because of your trespass, God will still extend to you a miraculous work of grace. And he extends to you an offering of forgiveness. God's promise to his people, to Abraham, through his descendants, that they would be blessed and that, that through David, someone would reign in his place and on his throne and they would lead Israel to their salvation. But by the time that Isaiah is writing, all of Israel had kind of lost hope of this. They thought, surely we're too far gone. Surely there's no way that God is going to continue to love us. Surely he's forgotten us. Surely he's not going to continue to love us. Surely he's moved on to bigger and better things. Surely God will condemn us. There's no way that he can love us. What about all the anxious promises, ancient promises that he made to us? Are they all canceled because of our sin? Is God just walking away from us now? And yet in this peculiar reality... God speaks and says, even though you have defiled me, even though you've turned your back, even though you have grieved me because of your sin, God says, I'll never, ever give up on you. And in the middle of their mess, God speaks a miraculous message, a miracle, if you will. It's no mistake why Isaiah begins in the way that he does in chapter one. He speaks to a sinful people who are full of offsprings of evildoers, children who have dealt corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And all of Israel is wondering, is this where we're gonna be left? Is God gonna leave us here? And then Isaiah comes with this message of hope and says, no, unto us a child is born. 
Unto us a son is given. And out of the ordinary, there was Pele, a miracle. There was a wonderful counselor to come. A child is born. And that child would give and offer to them hope in the middle of their calamity in the middle of their rebellion, in the middle of them running against the Lord, in the middle of them saying, God surely has forgotten about us. And God gives to them a wonderful counselor, a miracle. And we see that miracle happen in John 1. It comes to reality. We behold him in the flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with, the, with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is from the one of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. And in utter amazement, I just want us to stop for just a moment. And consider the wonder of the miracle in the manger. That in in spite of our sin and in spite of our mess, when we had absolutely blown it, God says, here's a miracle. God in the flesh. Behold, Christ the Lord. God's done it. God has done the unexpected. God has done it. And how often we walk in and we walk out of this Christmas season and we miss the miracle of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because just like Israel, just like Judah, you and I had blown it. Our sin, our grievances against God, Our life is a mess. We were destined to live an eternity without Christ. And just let it sink in. Let this truth sink in. If Christ had not come and lived and died for you, you would still be condemned if it weren't for Christ. If the miracle didn't come in the manger, we would be without hope. But yet God's wonderful counselor, God's miracle came into this broken, sin-filled world to rescue his people. And that's why we love verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the truth, beloved, the truth is that Israel's unfaithfulness would not win Israel's sin would not win. Judah's sin would not win. And your sin would not win either. Behold, a child is born. Behold, a son is given. God in the flesh, Christ the Lord. And you may be here today thinking, man, I've blown it. And there's no way that God could love me. There's no way that he could forgive me. Not after what I've done. It would take an absolute miracle. And the truth of the gospel is this, is that the miracle of God has come and he's come in the form of flesh and blood. 
and he laid down his life. Christ laid down his life to rescue you by taking on your sinfulness on himself and invites all men everywhere to repent and forsake your sin and to trust Christ for salvation. There is good news. There is hope because of Christ, because a child has been born, a son has been given, and a wonderful counselor has come. We see the might of a better king that gives us hope in life's circumstances. We see the miracle of a true son who gives us hope even when we've blown it. And point number three, as we come to a close, we see the manifold wisdom and the power of God. The word counselor means it's one who makes one wise. He gives plans. He, he's able to give good counsel. And this counselor is a ruler who gives wisdom beyond mere human capabilities. He is a counselor who gives to us godly counsel. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is personified and it's spoken to be a person. And that person is the person of God and ultimately the person of Christ. And Isaiah speaks of a counselor coming that is going to lead God's people into Godward counsel. And what you see is that that fulfillment is happening in Isaiah chapter one, and then he speaks in Isaiah chapter five and speaks of that. But the wider context of the book of Isaiah and the hope of the counselor who is to come and the hope of Israel was namely towards a final heir of David who would bring light to the Gentiles. He would sit on the throne of David. And in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah points us to this hope that we have and the hope of Israel, that there shall come forth from a shoot of the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, this counselor is coming and he will be a wise shepherd to the people. He will not be wise in his own eyes, but he will be faithful and full of wisdom of the Lord. And in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 12, the apostle Paul makes it very clear that this stump from the, this, this shoot from the stump of Jesse is none other than Jesus Christ. And two places in the book of Revelation, it speaks this more directly. In Revelation chapter five, it says, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. In Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about the things of the churches. I am the root. I, Jesus, am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. In Isaiah chapter 9, this prophet is declaring to us that the day is coming when the very wisdom of God will be personified. The perfect wisdom and the perfect understanding of who God is, his nature and all truth that he contains will come in the form of flesh and blood and he will come and he will guide God's people and he will shepherd them to a good place. And it's in Christ and only in Christ that we have a true and faithful shepherd for our souls. And it's Christ who is the shepherd who will never lead God's people astray. He will never do as King Ahaz and lead you into idolatry. He will always lead you into proper worship and in proper obedience to the Lord. And this is why the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter one, he says this, he says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly for Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Apostle Paul speaks of what we know as this upside-down kingdom, this upside-down kingdom of, of Christ. And you all know this from history. You know this just practically. But the decisions of a king or a ruler or a leader, they will make or they will break a kingdom. And this kingdom that's designed to be an everlasting kingdom needs a king who is beyond and is everlasting. It's beyond our comprehension. He is beyond our understanding. And only a wise king and only a godly king can be the king of God's kingdom. But ultimately, only God can be the king of his kingdom. And it is Christ who comes, yes, born in human flesh, but he was fully God as well. And I just present to you this morning that Christ is the true and better king and he is the wisdom and he is the power of God and he is the faithful king to shepherd you through all of life's difficulties and all of life's tragedies and all of life's hiccups and hurdles and all of life's pain. And this kingdom that he invites us to live in is an upside down kingdom that looks mysterious where the first is last and the greatest is a servant and weakness is actually strength and surrender is victory and what seems like death is actually a means of life to us. And anyone that's ever walked with Jesus for a moment knows the backwardness of following Christ and why Paul calls it, it seems like foolishness. The audacity to forgive someone who's hurt you to extend grace to those that just don't really deserve it in your book. Yet that's what God calls us to do. To love those who seem unlovable, to swallow your pride and to humble yourself and to repent. To live in submission to one another, to serve rather than to be served, to give. It's blessed to give more, blessed to give than to receive. And yet that is the thing that Christ is calling us to. Our wonderful counselor leads us to do. That was his way of life and that's his way of wisdom to us. And when all hope seemed absolutely lost, the world and the political climate seems in utter despair. Chaos is ensuing. Do we have hope in this world? Behold the wonderful miracle of God and the way of life that he invites us to as his wonderful counselor. His name is Jesus Christ and he is our wonderful and our wonder-filled counselor and our all-wise counselor. And he gives hope to our dark, sin-filled soul and he gives hope to this sin-riddled world and he will faithfully counsel you and he will faithfully show shepherd you. He will counsel your soul when you breathe your last and you give way to an everlasting city. And he will shepherd you, beloved, through the deepest, darkest pain of this holiday season. And he will counsel you when life seems utterly hopeless. And when you seem to be in despair because of your sin, consider the utter miracle of Christ laying down his very life to reconcile you to God. 
And this world may say, well, you need to try harder and you need to try a different method. And maybe God can, maybe you can satisfy God if you just try a little bit harder. No, beloved. What we really need is Christ. That's what we need for hope. That's what we need today. More than we need breath filling our lungs, we need Jesus to fill us with his spirit. Do you need his counsel today? Do you need his wisdom? Do you need the forgiveness that he offers for your sin? Do you need a better king? Do you need a better country to live for? Consider the miracle in the manger. Do you need his counsel? Do you need his wonderful counselor? Do you say, God, is there any hope? Oh, there's hope. Christ has come. And because Christ has come, we know that there is a mighty and a better king who gives us hope in life's circumstances. And because of the miracle of the true son, we have hope when we've absolutely blown it. And because of the manifold wisdom and the power of God, we have hope when we just don't know what to do. And in all of those circumstances, in all of those situations, we have but one plea for our hearts and our soul. And here it is, look to Christ. And that's what Advent's all about. That's what hope's all about. That simple reality of whatever you're dealing with, look to Jesus. Luke 2, and I close, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news with great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Do you need a Savior today? Do you need his counsel today? Do you need Christ today to fill you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.